Stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, visit www.3cr.org.au. Because we got the alternative energy on nuclear free autonomy. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome. I'm AC and you're listening to The Radioactive Show, recorded at 3CR in Fitzroy, Melbourne, on the traditional land of the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nation and broadcast across the stolen continent through the Community Radio Network. This Radioactive Show is focused on the negotiations for a nuclear weapon ban treaty. These started recently with a one-week session at the UN at the end of March. The aim of the ban is to delegitimise nuclear bombs and put them on the same legal footing as other weapons of mass destruction, working much like international prohibitions on the use of chemical and biological weapons. The focus of these negotiations has been the humanitarian impact of nuclear bombs, with the testimony of nuclear bomb survivors playing a crucial role in convincing governments to act. Auntie Sue Coleman-Hasseldean is a Cookatha elder and nuclear bomb survivor from South Australia. She spoke of her experience to the negotiations conference in this first week. Thank you, Madam President. My name is Sue Coleman Hazeldine. I was born in 1951 on Kniba Mission. I was a small child when the British and Australian governments tested nuclear weapons in the South Australian desert near my birthplace. For over a decade, full nuclear explosions and hundreds of experiments dispersed plutonium and other weapons materials contaminating almost all of Australia. Aboriginal people were still living close to the test sites and were told nothing about radiation. Some communities were so contaminated that most people developed acute radiation sickness. High rates of cancer were eventually documented in the 16,000 test workers, but no studies were done on Aboriginal people and others living in areas of fallout many of whom were even more highly exposed. High rates of cancer and chronic illness haunt my family and our wider community. My small town of Sejuna is being called the cancer capital of Australia. I worry about animals and plants which are also harmed by radiation. They can't speak for themselves and are ignored and left to die. Today, the Australian and South Australian governments are again proposing nuclear waste dumps for South Australia. As if having been poisoned once, it's somehow okay for us and our lands to be radioactively sacrificed again. The language and rationale being used today is very similar to that of the 1950s. Desolate, unused lands, being used in the national interest. We won't accept this, not for us, not for the broader community. We know from bitter experience that nuclear materials and weapons can never be safe. Aboriginal people have the oldest living culture on the planet and have cared for these lands continuously. Despite attempts to annihilate, assimilate and suppress us, we remain committed to looking after our people, cultural knowledge, lands and waters. Though we live in remote Australia, We now know that everywhere they have been used worldwide, nuclear weapons have devastated people and their lands. 
Together we need to connect the past, present and future and work towards a treaty to ban all nuclear weapons so there will be no new victims under a mushroom cloud. A nuclear ban treaty is also an opportunity to assist countries to make amends to victims of nuclear weapons. The treaty should acknowledge the permanent damage done to people, land and culture across generations and particularly for indigenous people worldwide. It should require countries to address the needs of impacted people. I'm speaking to you today in the hope that by working together, life on Earth can continue into a safe, nuclear-free future. A nuclear weapons ban treaty is a crucial step on the path to that future becoming a reality as it must. I know that the future is not ours, it will forever belong to the next generation. Thank you for listening to me. That was Auntie Sue Coleman Hasseldean, Kukatha Elder and Nuclear Bomb Survivor, speaking to the Negotiations Conference for a Ban on Nuclear Weapons. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, recorded on the unceded lands of the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nation in what is now known as Footsroy, Melbourne. This show is broadcast across these stolen lands of so-called Australia through the Community Radio Network. My name's AC, and today on the Radioactive Show we're talking about the negotiations at the UN for a nuclear weapons ban treaty. And the exciting thing about this for us here in Australia, I mean, aside from the prospect of moving closer to a world free of the threat of nuclear war, is that the campaign to get these negotiations off the ground started here, in Melbourne, 10 years ago in 2007. So up next, I'm pleased to say that we'll be speaking with Tillman Rush. He's one of the founders of the International Campaign Against Nuclear Weapons, or ICANN, and a co-president of the International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War. He's one of these people who have been working for many, many years to get these negotiations off the ground. And he's been over in New York um, during that first week of negotiations. And I wanted to find out for him what was the atmosphere like. It was really extremely positive and exciting. And it wasn't just um, from a civil society perspective that the nations that are serious about prohibiting nuclear weapons were actually rolling up their sleeves and sitting down to work and getting on with it. Um, you know, an extremely historic and positive thing to do. But the diplomats themselves were, were obviously really excited. I mean, the, the meeting opened with applause the first day, opened with applause, it closed... With applause, um, there was a sort of a positive atmosphere uh, of a real sort of collaborative enterprise between governments and civil society and international organisations that was really quite quite unique in my experience in a UN context. You know, I've been going to these disarmament meetings of various sorts for a few decades and uh, there has certainly never been one like this. Yeah, yeah. I imagine it could be quite boring and bureaucratic, but that sounds like yeah, it a lot was of them pretty are, exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Especially the non-proliferation treaty meetings, which happen almost every year, either for two weeks or four weeks for the review conferences, are mainly sort of set-piece prepared statements and governments just kind of talk past each other. Nobody really listens. There's not much interaction. You know, there's not sort of serious work done in terms of identifying issues and negotiating them, trying to reach a solution. This was very different, um, really extremely constructive, and it got a lot further than I think any of us 
dared to expect in the first week. Um, often at these UN meetings, the rules of procedure uh, that need to be agreed at the start can be a real sticking point and can mm. sometimes hold things up for, for days or even weeks. Um, but these rules of procedure for this meeting were agreed, I think, in less than a minute, oh, wow. which is really <laughs> quite extraordinary. Yeah. And, and then the other sort of key, you know, necessary objective for the week was an opportunity for governments to go through each of the sort of key sections of this planned new treaty, mm. um, sort of what should be in the preamble that outlines the object and purpose of the treaty, um, what should be in the specific provisions uh, mm. of the treaty and what should be in the institutional arrangements, you know, how it enters into force, um, whether it can be amended who's the depository, you know, whether it has a secretariat, what kind of meetings of the countries that that sign the treaty happen and how often, how disputes are resolved, those sorts of issues. In each of those three areas, um, the timetable for the week was really to get governments to put their positions and, and um, get a, a really broad range of views so that then the president could go away and write a draft text that, will be negotiated for the second instalment of this conference for three and a bit weeks in June and July. You're listening to AC on the Radioactive Show and my interview with Tillman Rush from ICANN. He's talking about his experience at the first week of the UN negotiations on a treaty to ban nuclear weapons. I asked Tillman about the Australian government's position on the negotiations and I have to say it sounds a bit disappointing. There are 132 governments altogether in the room, mm-hmm. not all there all of the time, but there were 132 governments who were present for these negotiations. Australia was nowhere to be seen. Mm. Um, Australia made it clear back in February that it didn't support the goal of a treaty to ban nuclear weapons um, and therefore it couldn't participate in good faith and therefore it was better to stay away. Mm. Um, Thankfully, they didn't join a protest. There was this extraordinary protest that the US ambassador to the UN, Nikki Haley, instigated, which was really, I mean, really counterproductive and and really quite juvenile, I have to say, in in its approach. So here's the first multilateral negotiation, i.e. the first sort of negotiations around nuclear disarmament at the UN in 21 years. And, and the US ambassador mounted this kind of stunt, which they called a stakeout. So outside the General Assembly Hall, right at the time that the meeting was getting underway, um, they made a statement in the company of a number of, of their allies and friends, about 20 states altogether, saying why even though, you know, as a mother she'd love a world without nuclear weapons, now wasn't the time. Um, and essentially accusing the governments in the room that were getting on with the serious work of negotiating this really historic treaty, um, accusing them of not, you know, having the security of their people, first and foremost. Um, It was clearly intended to disrupt and sort of derail and detract from the negotiations. Um, From that point of view, really all it succeeded in doing was getting a whole lot of media attention to these negotiations that, you know, more than would have otherwise been the case. Mm. Um, and it looked pretty bad, I have to say, for the governments that stood alongside 
the US, which was certainly not all of the NATO states, and there were clearly a whole lot of states, Canada, Germany, Italy, um, a whole bunch of states that stayed away. About half the NATO members weren't there. Um, and, you know, it made those that were standing alongside this really extreme, disruptive sort of protest um, look like really just, um, you know, uncritical servants following the Trump administration's orders. Um, so thankfully Australia wasn't among those. Um, so they were just completely absent. I have to say that one of the things that really I thought was pretty poor form for Australia um, was since last year there seems to have been a decision made that, um, you know, they clearly don't like the work that ICANN, the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, is doing, the pressure that it's putting on them to get on the right side of history and support these historic negotiations. And they really don't like... Um, the exposure that their reliance on nuclear weapons and, and their contradictory position, um, they don't like that pressure. So since last year, for the first time in you know, my 35 years of working on this issue, the Australian missions in Geneva last year and New York this year have refused to meet with us. Um, and I think for this year, that's extremely bad form in an ostensible democracy where you know government officials are supposed to be accountable to to the public and it was particularly i think um unfortunate given that the the meeting was particularly requested on behalf of um Adi Sue Coleman Hasseldean a, a Catholic Muller elder from South Australia uh, and a Maralinga test survivor who was as part of the ICANN delegation in New York and who's actually sp addressed um, the, the conference and you know to refuse to meet with her is um, is really quite insulting um, mm. it's really not the kind of behaviour you would expect of, of Australian officials so that, that was particularly disappointing mm, yeah that's pretty bad form yeah, we um, listened to Auntie Sue's speech at the UN negotiations earlier in the show um, how do you think like, what's been the role of nuclear bomb survivors in them giving testimony at the conference, and why has their presence been important? Do you think? I think it's been really essential, and we've we've really decided that it's one of the most useful things that the Australian campaign can contribute to ensure that at each of these sessions, um, in the preparatory ones, in the General Assembly when these negotiations were mandated last year and now that the negotiations are underway, that it's really important to have um, atomic bomb survivors from Japan, to have um, nuclear test survivors from the Pacific and Australia represented at the meeting and to have that lived human experience, you know, raw and present in the room to anchor and inform and ground these discussions in you know, the lived reality of what nuclear weapons mean. So, mm. Aunty Sue was was stunning, and and uh, you know you could have heard a pin drop in the room when she spoke. It was she immediately followed um, Setsuko Thurlow, um, one of the Hiroshima survivors, um, who also provided you know very compelling and and disturbing testimony about about what happened to to her. She was the only one of. 350-odd kids at her school to survive. And, um, you know, the, the diplomats are clearly moved. And, and having that, the voices of victims and survivors there in the room, um, you know, this is why we're, we're here, this is what it's all about. 
um, you know, in discussions that can easily get pretty abstract and, and, and you know, down political game playing. Um, not that that was a problem at these ones, but, but you know, keeping these things real and grounded in the lived human experience and the reality of what nuclear weapons are and do is crucial, and, and Arnie Sue did a terrific job at doing that. That was Tillman Rush from ICANN talking about the important role of atomic bomb survivors speaking out at the UN negotiations for a nuclear weapon ban. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, recorded at the 3CR studio in Fitzroy, Melbourne, and I'm AC. I asked Tillman how his work towards a nuclear weapon-free world would change once the treaty was completed. Well, I think just the first thing I should say about that is, you know, it's, the treaty's not negotiated yet. Um, mm. We're very confident that it will be, but for now the focus is really on making sure that the strongest possible treaty um, is concluded, mm. that it enters into force as soon as possible, that as many countries as possible sign and ratify the treaty, so, um, and then that it's followed up um, and implemented in you know domestic legislation for the countries that that sign it. So, mm. um, what next is in, is important, but um, but that's the first job. Um, you know, keep the eye on the ball, make sure that this this happens um, as effectively as possible. And the civil society contribution to this has been absolutely crucial. Every government um, that you know one hears speak about this, and privately, everybody volunteers that this wouldn't have happened um, without civil society really pushing and, and encouraging the governments, and in a lot of cases, you know, providing the evidence um, that motivates and underpins uh, this treaty. So. Civil society, the role has been really crucial. It's going to continue to be really crucial. Um, I think presuming that we get a good, strong treaty, um, there was pretty broad agreement that it should enter into force when a reasonable number of countries have, have ratified it, probably in the range of sort of 30 to 50, mm-hmm. um, in keeping with other recent treaties. You know, the landmines, cluster munitions and the arms trade treaty all had you know, between sort of 30 or, or, and 50 countries required to ratify them for them to enter into force. Um, and then there'll be a lot of work to do to follow up with domestic legislation for the countries that sign um, to do things like make it criminal um, for anybody within their jurisdiction to be involved in anything to do with nuclear weapons, you know, mm-hmm. helping to build them, develop them, potentially use them. Um, and also helping to uh, discourage, hopefully um, make illegal investment in companies that produce nuclear weapons um, from potentially both public um, financial institutions and potentially also private ones. Um, Those are two really crucial ways that countries that sign this ban treaty could really help deliver strong pressure on nuclear armed states um, you know, to, to, to disarm. And that's, of course, the next step. Um, this treaty will provide in some way, I, I expect, um, for the nuclear armed states to join the treaty, um, uh, either after they've eliminated their nuclear weapons or with an agreed, verified, time-bound plan for getting rid of their weapons. Mm. Um, but there'll be an awful lot of work to do to, you know, to compel... Um, 
to compel that to happen. At the moment, of course, the problem uh, we have and the reason why this treaty is so necessary is that none of the nuclear-armed states are actually fulfilling their obligation to disarm. They're all planning to hang on to their weapons, you know, until things come, essentially, uh, with no timetable for getting rid of them, with no negotiations for disarmament either underway or planned, um, and with all of them investing enormous sums of money in not just keeping their nuclear weapons, but actually modernising them, making them more sophisticated um, and potentially more deadly. So the nuclear-armed states, um, you know, are the only ones that get can get rid of their weapons. The states that don't have them can't eliminate them. Mm. Um, but that makes it all the more important, given the lack of progress on disarmament, that the rest of the world does what it can, which is fill this legal gap that, that sees nuclear weapons not explicitly illegal. Um, and it is encouraging that for all of the other uh, treaties that I mentioned that ban other kinds of weapons, um, even where major countries haven't signed them, US, China, Russia, for example, haven't signed and didn't want the landmines and cluster munitions treaties um, to enter into force, but those treaties, even though those countries haven't signed up, have had major influence. You know, they, mm. none of them export landmines anymore. The use has gone down, and in the very same breath as the US ambassador uh, to the UN last year was saying how dangerous and misguided a treaty banning nuclear weapons would be, he was boasting how his country is now almost in compliance with the landmines and cluster munitions treaties, even though it hasn't signed them. Mm. Um, that contradiction not apparently being evident to him. Yeah, <laughs> but, but to everyone else. <laughs> so these treaties do have effects, um, you know, in changing the calculus around nuclear weapons and in and in making it clear that, that the states that continue to possess these weapons are, you know, are flouting... Um, international law and the will of the international community. So there's still going to be an awful lot of work to do, um, but it'll move us a very significant step forward when this treaty is concluded. Well, it sounds great. Um, yeah, it's a pretty exciting time. Um, so how can our listeners follow what's going on with the negotiations? Is there anywhere you can point them where they can keep up to date? Yes, there's lots of good information on the ICANN website, so mm -hmm. it's just icanw.org. Um, there's a, a live blog that, that Tim Wright, our wonderful campaign director, um, kept up all of that time last week in New York, which has lots of, lots of good news about what happened. Um, Reaching Critical Will, uh, the disarmament program of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, has all of the statements and documents from the meeting on their website, mm -hmm. a really wonderful service that they provide for all of the UN disarmament meetings. The next steps will be that uh, the chair will, the president of the conference, Ambassador Elaine White from Costa Rica, um, who really managed the first week um, very expertly and deftly, mm. now has to go away and draft treaty texts on the basis of all the input that she's had. Um, we expect that will probably be late May um, and then the negotiations will resume for just over three weeks in the second half of June and the first week in July. Um, given the extraordinary progress that was made in the first week, um, 
in her closing remarks last Friday, she actually said three times in both English and Spanish, so nobody could have missed it, um, that she's absolutely determined uh, to fill the mandate that the General Assembly um, has given uh, and to reflect the sense of urgency uh, in that mandate to conclude an agreed text uh, by the end of the scheduled conference on the 7th of July. Okay, great. So I think that's, um, that's also extremely positive. So um, it'll be really important that uh, civil society is again there and present very strongly during those negotiations. We're planning for a number of the ICANN staff and campaigners from Australia to go and also, again, to have the voices of Australian nuclear test survivors and Pacific nuclear test survivors, excuse me, very prominent at that meeting. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your time talking to us today and for your work um, working for a world free of nuclear weapons. Thanks very much, AC. It really is uh, an extraordinarily exciting That's Tillman Rush from ICANN, and you're listening to The Radioactive Show. That's it for this week's show, where you heard Auntie Sue Coleman-Hasseldine's speech at the UN and an interview with Tillman Rush, who's one of the founders of ICANN and a co-president of IPPNW. They were both at the UN negotiations towards a treaty banning nuclear weapons at the end of March. This show was recorded at 3CR Community Radio Station in what is now known as Fitzroy, Melbourne, but which is still the traditional lands for the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nation, and we acknowledge that their sovereignty has never been ceded. You can contact the Radioactive Show on our email, radioactiveshow.3, the digit, cr at gmail.com. That's radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com. Or look up our Facebook group under the name The Radioactive Show. Past episodes are available on the 3CR website. Go to www.3cr.org.au backslash radioactive. And again, that's three the digit. www.3cr.org.au backslash radioactive. We'll finish off with an exciting new track from Combat Wombat, who have just released a new album just across the border. I recommend checking it out on their new website, combatwombat.com.au. The name of the track is Let Them Know, featuring Mantra MC. Thanks for listening, and here's to a nuclear-free future. People around the world feeling what it's worth Asking more questions than what the TikTok could research Around the world all standing up alert More and more awakening knowing that we got work Seek to understand if you give a damn Realizing we kept us in trouble like it is evidence Evidence, mankind meddling with malevolence Replacing wisdom with ill-acquired intelligence Whoever's in the running is irrelevant We know the government never elected American presidents Within the citizens is limited No matter what, it's never gonna be bigger than businesses Hip-hop and all, it ain't visible at the top What the position is Keeping y'all intentionally ignorant And blacklisting any political dissidents Attacking us, but yo, we swing it back until they have to listen Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast 3CR is an independent community radio station Based in Melbourne, Australia We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself To keep going If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.